Well, hey, hey, today I am here with Shannon Lee Simmons. Shannon is a certified financial planner, chartered investment manager, life coach, media personality, best-selling author, and founder of the award-winning New School of Finance. She is also a woman who absolutely revolutionized my family's finances. And this was at a time when we didn't really have finances. I met Shannon about 10 years ago when I was a personal trainer teaching boot camp classes in the park, and my husband was a stay-at-home dad. Our household budget was tight. I mean, we weren't hungry and facing housing insecurity like so many people are these days, but every time I pulled out my debit card at that time of my life, it was I had the feeling like I was running through a red light with my eyes closed. Like it just wasn't the best feeling. I had no idea whether it was going to swipe or not. Shannon gave Dylan and I a simple system that we still use today that gave us total clarity on exactly what we could spend day by day and a long-term plan. And like I said, this is 10 years ago, and I am still so grateful to her. Today, Shannon and I talk about all the parallels between fitness and money, like the all or nothing mentality and getting the fuckets and being influenced by social media. She talks about the psychology of getting out of debt and how to spend your money in a way that will give you the most emotional bang for your buck. And we talk about her new book, No Regret Decisions, and how she helps her clients make really personal decisions, like whether or not to continue with IVF, whether or not to sell their business. And she helps them make these decisions in in a way that they will never regret it, regardless of the outcome. So if you make money, spend money, owe money, save money. In other words, if you exist on this planet, you are going to want to hear this interview. Ready to break up with your bullshit? I mean, all those excuses that are keeping you stuck because you have one life to live. And if you're not having fun yet, then that's a problem, dude. Welcome to Goals, Grit, and Some Woo-Woo Shit. The podcast, we learn about the habits of kicking ass at life. Whether you want to get ripped, get rich, or just get high on life, this is the place to be. Here's your host, best-selling author and feel-good expert, Una Duncan. Shannon Simmons, I am so excited to finally nail you down to come on the podcast. <laughs> this is so a conversation I've been looking forward to for months, so thank you so much for being here. I am so happy that the stars finally aligned for us and we can we can do this and we're here together. <laughs> totally, totally. So I want to talk to you mostly about your new book about making decisions in tough times, but maybe can you give a bit of your background? Like I know you're a financial planner and just yes. because we want everyone who listens to this to have massive financial abundance, can you just quickly outline the difference between what you do and what the financial planner that people get from their bank does? Yeah, sure. So um, I run a business called The New School of Finance, and we are a fee-only financial planning firm. So fee-only is often sometimes also called advice-only. And so what that means is that we don't sell products. We don't sell mutual funds. We don't sell ETFs. We don't sell insurance products, nothing. So when people come to us for financial advice, they pay for our time. So that means that we're unbiased in every way. So if someone's like, hey, I have some money. Do I put it on my mortgage? Or do I put it in my RSP? It's not like my bonus is dependent on where that advice goes. Um, so that's what we do, which I think is different. Sorry, not I think which is different um, than if you go somewhere who's managing your money and you're getting financial advice from them, they're inherently biased, right? Because the more money that's in your portfolio, the the more money they make. And and just to clarify, that's almost everywhere. Like if you are not paying a fee upfront for financial advice, that is how those people are getting paid, right? Yeah, there's no free advice. So if you're not paying for it out of pocket, it's coming off your investments or off the product that you've bought. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I've come across that with fitness stuff. You know, people would be like, what? Other people aren't charging anything for their fitness stuff. And I'm like, oh, yes, they are. They're selling you supplements. They're advertising stuff to you. I mean, yeah. there is no free lunch, really. You do, no. you're paying somehow. And at least this is the most clear, upfront, um, transparent way of getting paid. Yeah. And I think it really allows us to do a holistic view of someone's life again, because we don't get pigeonholed into like a sales pitch. So I remember when my husband and I first came to you, which I mean, Shannon, I'll be honest with you. It was a turning point in our finances, majorly. And, you know, we talked about our money situation and we're opening up the kimono and burying our souls. And I joked to you, I was like, oh my God, you probably feel more like a therapist or a life coach. And you were like, you have no idea. So yeah, I am a life coach. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yes. And so you are actually a life coach as well. So yeah. did you do that because you were noticing that your clients, that money management is all about emotional management? I mean, is that true? Yeah. I mean, it's why I have a job. We all know that you just spend less than you make. Everybody <laughs> knows that. So I wouldn't have a job if it was easy. Right. Uh, when I was working on Bay Street, uh, which is what I did before I, I launched New School, 
Um, I really actually enjoyed the client part of it. And that was with high net worth clients, but you still have people that are really emotional and making emotional decisions around money, even when they're millionaires. And so I find the human part of money so fascinating. And that's really why I'm not bored of my job 16 and a half years later doing the same thing, because it's really about people. And so I got my life coaching certification before I even left Bay Street. So like I've been a certified life coach since 2010, like wow. old OG uh, life coach, um, because I even saw it then uh, that it's like, this is not about even at that level of wealth, people still make really emotional decisions, decisions that are not necessarily quote logical, have anxiety and scarcity mindset. And I remember being like, wow, you have $5 million and you're, you can't sleep about money. And it's like, it's, it's not about money. It's about, it's about our feelings. I love that. I want to talk to you about that scarcity mentality that can hit at any level of wealth. But your your first book is called Worry Free Money. And that's how yes. people can be all responsible and save for retirement, but also enjoy your their money. Is that right? Yeah. And I think that part of what I noticed over the years is the same trends sort of coming up regardless of someone's financial situation. So once I launched New School Finance, and I wasn't necessarily working with just wealthy people anymore, I see people that are... um maybe on the brink of bankruptcy, all the way up to people who just inherited like $10 million and everything in between. And I would notice that the trend of scarcity is the same. And I would notice, which it sounds ridiculous, like you could to say, what? Somebody who has is swimming in debt would have the same money anxiety as somebody who has millions of dollars? That can't be real. And I'm telling you, it's like the same words coming up over and over again. Obviously, there's a reality to that that we have to take into account. But I realized that the worry about money, no matter who you are, comes down to whether or not you know how much you can afford to spend, which is all relative. So someone who has lots and lots of money can afford to spend more than somebody who doesn't have a lot of money. But at the end of the day, if you don't know what money is allowed to be spent and what money is not allowed to be spent every time you get money or every time you get paid, then every time you spend money, there's anxiety. Every time you spend money, there's guilt. So if you order a pizza, you're, it's probably not going to rob you of a secure retirement. But if you don't know that, then it's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should do better tomorrow. Like, why do we do this? Like, we're so bad with money. Why can't we just do the right thing? And it's like, wait, wait, wait. You can spend the money on the pizza. Like, there's, there is a part of our money that is meant to be spent. So it's really about the not knowing how much. And that's really where worry-free money, the book, and my whole philosophy around like, figuring out what that line in the sand is so that you can give yourself permission to enjoy a portion of your money so that you don't always feel guilty. Mm, I love that. And I see so many parallels with fitness and the clients I work with because of course they ordered the pizza and they're like, oh my God, I'm fucked now. I'll never get fit. I ate the pizza like a big loser. And of course that's totally not true, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And then you also you say it's really important to enjoy your money now. Do you think if you don't enjoy your money now, you'll always have these feelings of scarcity and create more scarcity? You know what I mean? Like, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think... That's true. I've seen scarcity mindset become self-fulfilling prophecy, which is why I wanted to write the book in the first place. So if you believe that there's not enough money ever, and there will never be enough, which is really the scarcity mindset that I'm talking about, is that a lack of hope for the future, then what happens is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the actions that you take today are in line with the fact that you assume that there's no point in trying. And if you assume that there's no point in trying, you don't. And a classic example of that is like, well, I already have $4,000 on a credit card. Like what's another 400 bucks? And people are just like, fuck it. And they Fuck swipe their credit cards. Totally. And I see, we all have those fucking moments. Those are normal. It's human. I'm talking about when all it is, is that right. And that doesn't, it's a slow creep. And it's all about that scarcity mindset from the very beginning that's robbing you of hope that there's any point in trying. Well, okay. And your second book is called Living Debt Free. And to me, I'd imagine that getting out of debt would take some grit. Do you think that that's the right word for it? Yes. It is a constant, uh, all financial stuff, not just getting out of debt, even saving for retirement. A lot of it is a long lens thing. So you have to constantly stay motivated for the right reasons. So that the short term you aligns with what you want the long term you to be. And so 
it's really, really hard to do that. And the, I always find with debt, it's less motivating than saving. So if we think about your net worth, all of your assets minus all of your liabilities, that's your net worth. So the classic example is like you own a house for a million bucks, but you have an $800,000 mortgage, your net worth is $200,000. Okay, so anything that improves your assets, improves like increases your savings will increase your net worth or anything that will lower your debt also improves your net worth. So for me, as a financial planner, anyone who's improving their net worth, I'm like, great. But it feels so much better to see a $1,000 go into a savings account than it does to see a line of credit go from 19000 to 18000 But the impact on the net worth was the same. But motivationally, it's not that exciting because debt has this baggage. We are paying off the past. It's traumatic. We look at that. We have all, it opens a door to questioning your decisions. Are you dumb? Are you bad with money? Why did I do this? That bad thing that happened to me, that emergency that I wasn't ready for, all of those things. Whereas putting money into a savings account is what if, right? Oh, it's like buying a lottery ticket. What if this actually works? What if this actually turned into this? What if I could spend this on the trip I'm saving for? So it's way more fun. And so grit is necessary for both. Because every day, in order to put money away, you have to say no to something. And it's hard. We're humans. It's really hard to say no to stuff, especially in this world of social media and constant consumerism and pressure to spend money. It's a pressure cooker. So if you are saying no to stuff, that's hard already. And then you lack the deep motivation or that like debt kind of is like hard to deal with. It's really hard. So I always focus on, yes, you need grit. And the only way you're going to get there is to be properly motivated to do it. And that is has nothing to do with interest. Nobody cares. It's like, well, the interest, the interest. Yeah, whatever. What you really have to be motivated by is something that's like emotionally important to you. And then you can probably get on side. Oh, I love this because when people are like, I just need more motivation. I'm often like, well, actually, you need to bribe yourself. You don't need motivation. You need a reward that's going to make this feel fulfilling in this moment because yes. you're right. It's the long-term self versus the short-term self. So if we want to build yes. healthy habits, you have to make that healthy habit feel good right now in this moment. You have to feel rewarded for it. So do yeah. you have any tips for anyone who's like, yeah, I get, and I don't, I do not get off on paying off my debt. Do you have any ways that people can make that feel more rewarding? Is there an app that will show like, I don't know, something? Yeah, an app would be a great idea. I'm usually at it for the emotional win of the dead. So I'll, I'll sometimes even do like a sort of like a guided meditation with somebody where it's like, you know, who, who are you without the debt? So what is it holding you back from? And really getting that like picture of what the debt is, the harm that it's causing in their life. And and it's not the interest, right? Like nobody ever mentions the interest. Yes, of course, that's money that would be back in your pocket. But a fun way to access this too is like, imagine you didn't have to make these payments anymore. Where else could you put that? What else is on the line? And then I usually also say um, some sort of like in the moment reminder. So for example, um, I had this one client who just wasn't motivated to pay it off, had like tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt and was just like, I just don't care. And like, that's fair. I kind of get it. <laughs> and like, the, then his wife uh, got pregnant and all of a sudden he was like, I, we, you know, we couldn't get a car because my credit's bad. And like, now I feel like I'm going to be this bad parent. And it's like, this is a different level of motivation than pay off your debt because it's improving your net worth. Like nobody cares. And so then it was like, he didn't want to be a bad partner. He like didn't want to, he wanted his wife to trust him, like a whole bunch of other stuff that we were able to pull out. His wife and him wrote like their goals on, on a, a little piece of paper and then he taped it to his credit card. So every time he took out the credit card, there was like this little, like, I love you. I trust us. Like I, you know, we're going to be okay. Note that they wrote together. And so it was like that moment in the moment where it's like saying no actually makes me feel better about myself because I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to this, this really emotionally charged motivation. And I, he literally taped it with scotch tape on the back of a credit card. I've had other people use little stickers, like little star stickers or whatever, something to remind them of like what it is. But I think it's, it's not necessarily that it can feel good in the moment, but it can remind you intensely of why you're saying no to something. And I think that is that sober second thought, which is why all this contactless payment stuff is really terrifying for debt, because I don't think you spend money with the same mindfulness and it's harder to stay motivated. 
Oh, that's interesting. So you don't even have to put in a pin. You're just swipe. Yeah, there's yeah. no contact. There's nothing. It's like a tiny little tap. Think about Apple then... Pay, all that stuff too, right? Or Shop Pay or whatever online. You just like press a button with your finger one time and it just, it shows up at your door. You don't even have to swipe anything. Like how do you stay motivated in those weak moments with those sort of technologies working against you? It's really hard to exist. I, I feel like our brains are not meant to um, be able to spend resources that quickly and and that thought thoughtlessly or mindlessly by accident. Most people I've never had, I've never had someone be like, you know what? Just can't wait to be in debt. Can't wait. Love it. <laughs> so it's, it's a series of things that have happened. Right. And I don't know. I, I feel like we're in a, it's really getting harder and harder. Like even from advice, like I've been doing this for over 16 years and, and it's getting worse, not better. Hey, dude, if you are enjoying this episode and you have a friend that you think might also benefit from this information, please share it with them. That helps my podcast so much and it's going to help your friend. Share the love. Thanks so much. I love, though, that you help people connect those numbers on a screen, which you're right, could be totally meaningless to yes. real life consequences that are emotionally impactful. I think that that is so powerful and so unique about what you do. What do you say to those clients that are in deep debt and maybe they're having those feelings? And again, I know this from people who come to me and they feel like, I'm too far gone. I have no willpower. I'm so embarrassed by the state of things. I'm ashamed to get help. How do you help people with those feelings? Yeah, I think that the um, the number one thing, and you'll you'll love this because it's about habits. So, when someone has lost hope, the habit of saving is the antidote. And so, it sounds silly, but even the act of putting five dollars in a checking account or in a savings account, setting that up, whatever that low hanging fruit is, um, can be a way to kickstart a whole system that happens in someone's brain because the act of savings is hopeful, right? For that brief moment that that money gets put aside, even if it's $5, there's a whole chain reaction that's of, of self-talk that says, well, maybe I won't take it out. Or, hey, maybe I'll do 10 bucks next month. Or or maybe, maybe I, I don't know, like what will happen? Let's see. Versus assuming nothing is going to work. So, Often when I hear people that are like, I'm already too far gone, all that stuff, it's like, we will set up some sort of minimum act of hope towards a better future, even though that that $5 may or not make or break their life if we just, you know, if we just did the $5. But what it is, we're kickstarting the hope again, because hope is very necessary in order to try. And so that's usually something that I'll do too. And then I'll often get them to, uh, if I'm listening to them, and this is where my life coaching skills come in. Some of my clients who've been with me for years are like, yeah, nice try, Shannon. We know it's coming, but this is really good if it's someone new. I just am like listening and like writing down the things that people have said about themselves because people will just come in and dump all over, like all the things, right? And then I just like show them the list and I'll read them back what they just said to me. And you can see their eyes well up and they're, they, I don't think that they realize the mean things they say about themselves. And what that actually means about their future, because if you think about it, and I, I often will tie this together too, everything costs money. You want to go back to school? Costs money. You want to go on a trip with your kids around the world? That costs money. You want to start your own business? That costs money. You want to like work less? Costs money. You want to do all the things? It costs money. You want to have a birthday party for your kid? You want to buy that shirt? Whatever. It all costs money. So if you fundamentally believe that you are not good with money, and that you will never be good with money, then what you're actually saying is, I'm bad at life. And when I connect that for someone, like, listen to the words you just said, and what you're saying is, I'm bad at, like, all the things in life, because I'm never going to achieve any of my goals. And then people are like, well, I don't think that. And I'm like, exactly, you don't actually think that. So, like, let's, let's break, let's pull back from that for a heart, for a minute. And, like, money is a tool, it's a resource. It is not a self-worth thing, but they often get so intertwined because our self-worth is tied up in our goals and money is often how we can get to our goals. 
I love that you brought up, you know, all of the things cost money. And um, when you mentioned yeah. social media earlier, it reminded me of a great thing that you were doing a couple of years ago. I don't think you still do it, but you had a something. Oh. You'll have to tell me what the hashtag Real was. selfies. Real well, selfies. Real selfies. <laughs> so, so this is listeners. This is what Shannon would do. She would have the like beautiful picture of the meal at the restaurant or whatever. And then she would show the receipt. <laughs> tell us more yep. about that movement and Shannon. What were you trying to get across there? So again, I think that at this point in 2023, it's like, yeah, we've seen that real fake Instagram, but I was doing that back in 2013, 2014, when it was truly, truly a highlight reel of awesome, which I still think it is. But I do think that people understand now, even though it still impacts us the same, we, we know real and fake Instagram, we understand that, but this was when it was really new. And so I would say, you know, behind every great selfie, there's a bill and I would post the bill and one of the, I started it as like a tongue in cheek thing, just to make people aware that social media is making you think like you, you know, no one posts their visa bill after the vacation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, so you go on vacation and everyone's like, I'm so jealous they're in Mexico right now. And it's like, can you imagine if they're like, yeah, we'll be paying this off for eight months. Like if we were that honest, it would be like, oh, maybe I'm not that jealous. <laughs> but so it started off as like that. And then an interesting thing happened to me, even the accountability of posting it made me sort of hyper aware of what I was about to spend money on because I didn't want like social shame and <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, so, so there was this moment where before I would buy something or before I would do something, I would be like, ah, do I want to post this on the internet? And then I was like, maybe I don't, maybe I do. And it really made me assess before I swipe my card. Like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Because if I am, I'll post it and I'll be proud of it. And if anyone wants to come at me, I'll be like, yeah, I stand by this transaction or am I doing this? Cause I'm like tired. It's convenient. I'm being lazy. I'm feeling insecure right now. I don't like any of my clothes because something doesn't fit me. And I feel like I need a new shirt to like go on this TV show, like just insecurity and like all of that stuff. And so I really noticed that, um, that accountability makes us sort of like puts us in a framework to make good decisions in the moment. And so that's why I talk about that a lot in the book too. I'm not saying everyone should post their bill online, but it was just a really cool mindfulness activity. Yeah, I love that. And it's a great segue to talking about your latest book, No Regret Decisions, Making Good Choices in Difficult Times. So in that book, you often describe it as making decisions in times of crisis. Can you give us a mm -hmm. few examples of the kinds of situations you're talking about? Yeah. So, I mean, when people hear crisis, they often think of like, um, you know, like a real, like a, an unexpected shocking event. And yes, that's absolutely it. But the crises that I kind of cover in the book are varied. So some of them are, you know, the, the rug just got pulled out from under you. Your partner just came downstairs and said, I want to separate. And you're like, what? So that's a, that's an example of a personal crisis that your finances are sort of like immediately pulled into this. Um, critical illness, also somebody gets a diagnosis or something like that, like those kinds of things would be the the rug getting pulled out from under you. And now you got to financially plan at a really bad time. Okay, those are the kinds of crisis. But there's also sort of like personal crisis that exist that aren't necessarily an emergency or something like, uh, for example, I also tackle things like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I want to quit my job tomorrow. And like, I don't know where I'm going. And I have to make these massive decisions. And like, do I quit and go back to school? So this isn't necessarily like, your life is on fire, but, but you have to make a big decision with high stakes. So really, the book is tackling things that are high emotional stakes, high financial stakes, uncertain future. So the stakes are higher. So we're not talking about buying the pizza. We're talking about like your life will not look the same after you make this decision. So you quit your job, your life looks different the next day. You uh, like um, your partner is divorcing or you're divorcing your partner, your life looks different the next day. Like these kinds of massive um, sort of like shifts in your life. This podcast is made possible by Fit Feels Good, my online fitness and nutrition company. Here's what we do. I have so many incredible benefits from the MFA program. It literally changed my life. I have the book, Healthy AF. I'm absolutely in love with my life now. I find that the healthy habits that I built are amazing to go back to. The benefits that you're going to see as a woman in your 40s plus are things you could have never imagined. The key which I know Una talks about over and over again, is loving your body now, not what you're envisioning it to be.
Okay, we have a big giveaway this month for the person who leaves the best review for this podcast. As you probably know, reviews are huge in order to help a new podcast like this one grow an audience. So if you're kind enough to leave a review, you will be eligible to win a free spot in my upcoming 28-day transformation program. This is my signature fitness program that has 97% of past participants saying it changed their life. All you got to do is leave an awesome review right now and tune in next month for when I announce the winner. Back to the show. What's so interesting to me that you as a financial planner are helping people make extraordinarily personal decisions like, should we should we do another round of IVF even though it costs yeah. so much? Should I put my spouse in extended care? Um, how mm-hmm. do you help people come to a decision that they are at peace with, that they know was the right decision when it comes to these things? Yeah, that's the whole word of uh, no regrets. So I obviously can't make decisions for people. But what I can do is help outline what you can do right now while you're waiting through the uncertainty. So that future you looks back and says, you know what, I wouldn't do it any other way. And so I started to notice over the years, again, I, I've seen people's lives play out now. So it's really I couldn't have written this book even like five, six years ago. Um, it's really just been like watching people live. And sometimes we make good decisions with bad outcomes. That was going to be my that next question. That doesn't mean it. Yeah, I thought that, that was doesn't so mean it was a bad decision. It doesn't mean it was a bad decision. However, because we didn't get the outcome we wanted, quit our job, went back to school, the whole thing blew up, can't get a job, wish I never did it. Right? So, okay, that was good decisions, bad outcome. How do you look back on that and and not regret it? And so I started to notice between all the people who made decisions and they didn't work out. There was a group of people who still have hope for the future. And they were like, good decision, bad outcome. And there was another group of people who were like, I'm the worst. I regret that. How could I have done that? And they live with this deep regret. And so in studying those people, I realized it was really important because those people, without the hope for the future and without trusting their ability to make good decisions in hard times, live with daily anxiety that something bad is going to happen to them because they don't actually trust themselves to make good decisions again going forward. So the people that were there in that group often made panic-based decisions. So like reactive, right? I'm going to rage quit. I'm going to, I'm so angry at this person. I'm just going to do this thing. I'm going to, you know, but very reactive panic-based decisions. Classic also is like during the pandemic, this will never end. I'm going to like sell everything and move. Some people that was a great decision. Some people that was a horrible decision. It depends on the the thing. So a reactionary decision. And the other thing is like making sure that they're making decisions that are aligned with their value, their deciding values, just for them, not other people, not what the news is saying, just for them. And then ultimately like setting up boundaries financially. So like, where's the like, go, no go lines that you don't end up regretting this down the road, right? Like how much money can you spend to do this that you don't look back with regret? How much um, other things in your life you're going to have to give up in order to do this? So all I do is map it out for people so that it's a mindful choice so that no matter how it turns out, you can look back and say that was a good decision, even if it was a bad outcome. Because I stayed true to my values, because I really thought about it, because I stayed within the guardrails of safety. And so even though it didn't work out the way I wanted it to, even though we didn't conceive the baby, even though our property value went down, even though I didn't get the jobs of my dreams, I would still make that decision again. Or I approve of that decision. decision. It was a good decision. I approve of that decision. Wow. Yeah. And then you can live with yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Can you tell us about time and money guardrails? Because I'd imagine that's a big part. If someone says, well, or maybe you can tell us a story about someone who made a decision that maybe didn't get the outcome that they wanted and they still approved of it. Yeah. Okay. So just the pivot, I'll use an example that it really explains it well. So pivot points and guardrails are different. And so this is actually how I end up on the front line of these decisions with people, right? Because people want to know how long till I'm broke or like, how long can I do this for? So a classic example is just like a first time home buyer, right? Buying their first house. This is a form of personal crisis because the emotional stakes are high the financial stakes are high and there's a lot of uncertainty, right? So how much can we afford? They come in. Okay. On paper, let's say that with their down payment and everything, they can afford a $700,000 house. Cool. And then they can take their kids to extracurricular, take a vacation every year, have a nice life. Okay. Then they're like, well, what happens if there's a bidding war? 
Okay. So first pivot point is, can we go as high as seven, as 800,000? So an extra hundred grand. Cool. Yes, you can. However, trip not really in the cards anymore. Like there's not a lot of discretionary spending there, extra discretionary. So you'd have to pivot your plans in order to make that work. It's not a no. It's just, what else are you giving up in exchange to, for this goal? Okay. Okay. Bidding war, bidding war, bidding war. What happens if it's $900,000, right? Okay. The bank will still give you a mortgage. You can do this, but now we're talking no retirement savings. We're talking no extracurriculars for your kids and no travel. So like, are you willing to make those sacrifices in exchange for this? And then what if it was a million? Well, the bank wouldn't even give you a mortgage. It's a hard guardrail, right? Like it's a, it's a, no, it's a hard no. Or you can make a personal guardrail with like, I don't want to live without retirement savings. I actually say 900 is our guardrail. So now you go into that whole experience saying, we're aiming for seven. We can go as high as 850. Don't go to nine because we know what that looks like. We don't want it. That's a hard no. So that's sort of the difference between a pivot point and a guardrail. And so an example of that is um, I have two clients who both... Uh, have come to me later. I did not advise this. No, I'm not saying that to get myself off the hook, but like lots of people chose variable mortgages in 2020 and 2021 because it was like 1.75. Mm-hmm. And so I have two clients that are very different people, but very comparable in like their outcome. One of them is angry at everybody, angry at the world, angry at Tiff Macklin, the Bank of Canada, like the head of the Bank of Canada. Um, like every day wakes up like really resentful and bitter because, um, they feel like they were had, they feel like they, they were lied to. They feel like they made a horrible decision because their interest, their, um, mortgage payment is so much higher than it could have been. The other person is like <clears throat> same income. So the very similar economic stand is like, that sucks. Learned a super big lesson. I can't wait till this is over. And so what's the difference? Why? Okay, so the first person that that um, or is really upset still, I just met them like recently. They made a panic-based decision. The only way that they, they could get into the house was with this lower sort of mortgage rate. So it only worked there. They didn't really do the due diligence. They didn't have the guardrails in place. They didn't have the time stuff. They moved in a panic during the, during the um, pandemic. And they, they didn't do any sort of like their own due diligence. They trusted the mortgage person and like, that was that. And so they really feel like they got this bad advice. They really feel like they were had and that they made all these silly decisions. Whereas the other person who is still struggling to make their own mortgage payments, like they're not like rolling in it or anything like that. They bought the house for like totally different reasons. It wasn't just escaping from the city. They were like always trying to plan and moving there. They had done some research. They had talked to their realtor. They had talked to a family member. They had talked to the mortgage broker. Everyone said, well, you know, it's pretty good rate. I bet you over the five years, it'll work itself out. And they were like, you know what? Let's just take a, take a gamble, see how it goes. Um, so they did it. It was a more methodical um, thing. And so now they're looking back being like, that one didn't work out versus I'm an idiot. And I think they're very powerfully different, right? Like those are very different stories about trusting people about finances about people out to get you versus like because they didn't because they made a panic-based choice they didn't really do their due diligence and they didn't map it out and so they they don't feel like they can look back with no regrets shane what do you do when you have a client who is making wild financial decisions <laughs> it happens i bet it does i tell them i'm pretty honest and i think that people because i am people are paying me for their time so nobody comes to me who's not serious about hearing the truth. I'm not trying to keep people happy so they don't take their money out of their RRSP. So what I'm trying to do is just be honest because if you're paying me, that's what you want. So I'll tell people sometimes, I'll use kind language like, this makes me nervous and here's why. <laughs> this is something that I feel like would be difficult to recover from if it doesn't go well. So like I, I say things like this. Yeah. And it's like, I've seen a lot of things like here's, here's a red flag and here's why. So I, again, really like a lot of the whys, but it's not saying like, this is a dumb decision because no decision is dumb, but it's like, this one makes me feel nervous. Right. And often if I'm like, this makes me feel nervous, here's why I'll map out if the wor- the worst case scenario, if this doesn't go the way you want it to, like 
this is where you'll be like, is that worth it to you to keep going or making whatever decision you're making? I have this a lot with people who want to buy houses they can't afford. Um, right. And they're just like, whatever, we'll figure it out. We'll just make more money later. And it's like, Oh, that's so scary to assume that, you know what I mean? Um, and then, and then it's also, I mean, not that I'm like, not that you won't, but it's just like, Oh, be careful what you're assuming there. Like how much money are you assuming you're going to make more? I also see it with like, uh, so yeah, real estate, I see it all the time. And I also see it with starting businesses, which I'm all for. I'm like, a, I'm a, a huge fan of being a self-employed person, but it's like, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll spend $20,000 on this course and I'll just like get a business card and like rack it in. Like there it is. And I'm like, okay, well, what if it doesn't work? Like, how are you going to pay your bills? Like, what are we doing? So I see, I just want to make sure that I map it out for people. And that's really when a spreadsheet can be helpful. Because <laughs> <laughs> people react, I'm sure sometimes like you're pooping on their dreams. A hundred percent, but they're paying me. And I remind them of that. I was like, if you didn't want to know the truth, you would have wanted to be deluded. You wouldn't have paid me hundreds of dollars to do this. So somebody who actually is just wanting to be head in the sand is never going to come to my office. Got it. So straight up. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm wondering, are you woo woo at all? Like if someone comes into your office, (laughs) that was an immediate, of course. Una, Una, look at you're propped up against a giant crystal right now. Like, come on now. Come on. Awesome. Okay. Well, all right. Within that context, if someone came into your office and they start talking about manifesting the money or their dream house, like, how would you secretly yeah. feel about that? Like, nervous, but also I hope it works. Or, and I believe in you, but I kind of also wanted to work on a yeah. spreadsheet. Both. And I, and I, I straight up say that. I think that, um, I am a power, I am a big person on the power of, of like manifesting in the sense that hope right? I think hope is truly one of the most important financial ingredients. So whatever is placebo for you, whether it's manifesting, whether it's like doing whatever it is that you think is an important part to give you hope for the future, I am down. Doesn't matter. You want a money tree? Rock on. You want some crystals? Hell yeah. Let's get you some quartz. Like I don't care. Where I start saying, "Mm," or I start to get tense is when um, there is this like sinking into debt and a blanket assumption that everything is going to be fine. And again, that is a situation which I see. And sometimes the guise of woo is used, which I actually find like frustrating because as a woo person, I'm like, that just not, it's not a, it's not being woo isn't permission to be irresponsible. That's not, that's not what it is. Right. And so it's like, how do you balance that? So I would say something like, this makes me nervous because if we keep going down this road and things don't change or like it doesn't manifest the way that you want it to, um, here's we're going to be like, I just want to make sure you don't have any regrets in the future. It's often like a really powerful way to check in with somebody. Um, but that being said, I also have done some woo stuff with people like, a, you know, uh, we like, crystals or people use spells or whatever i'm like i'm super down for it because i do think all of i think the power of what whatever people call woo woo stuff is actually just access to hope and self-care so it looks different for everybody but if you're doing something like that you're putting something out into the universe it is an act of hope in the same way that an act like that putting that five dollars in that checking account or that savings account that i was talking about is an act of hope. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. I love that. Can you tell me more about the self care? How does self care relate to our finances? I mean, obviously, it's a caring thing to take care of ourselves financially. But um, maybe expand on that idea of what can we do that is a self caring thing that will also impact our finances besides the obvious of just putting aside a couple of saving. Bucks. Yeah, yeah, I think making sure that you're spending the money you are, we only have so much money to spend. And making sure that the money you are spending is going on things that give you something I call a high emotional return on investment. So obviously, there's a certain portion of our income that's going to go to like, our bills, our getting around costs, like, you know, we got to replace the kids boots, whatever, all that stuff. There's also a portion of it that's like, maybe, um, even at the grocery store, or whatever, it's like, there's some high quality things that, that give you joy that like wouldn't give somebody else joy. Or maybe there's something else that you can do, like going to a show with your kids or whatever. So I think what I'm trying to say is really kind of fleshing out what of the money I am, I, I, I am able to spend every month. 
how can I make sure I'm not spending it on stuff that is actually bringing me down? Like because what? that's what leads to bitter, that, that leads to bitterness and, and deep resentment. So for example, um, social obligatory spending is a classic example. Lots of that around the holiday season too. For example, uh, it's, um, my friend's birthday party and, uh, they're going to go to this expensive restaurant and I would rather <clears throat> spend money on this other experience, but I feel obliged to do this. And I don't want to say no because I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. So I'm just going to spend the money and resent it inside and not do anything about that. So that's like a classic example or like around weddings, people feeling resentful about that gift giving around the holidays, like all of those sort of like social obligatory things are places where people put their discretionary money and can often resent it. And so the antidote to that is just speaking up, um, like for sure, but it's a really hard thing to do. And so I often will go through people's discretionary spending and be like, okay, what are the things that give you the most joy? And they're like, I love my daily coffee. I like nice, I like nice wine. Uh, I don't, I don't want to cook every night. So like delivery is actually a high emotional thing. Whereas normally I think financial planners are like, cut the takeout, cut the coffee. And it's like, well, what if those are the very things that are bringing you the most amount of joy because it allows you to be quick, more present with your kids because you didn't have to go grocery shopping and you were on time to, to work because you wanted to do drop. Like, what if there's a whole bunch of other things that are going on there? So making sure that you're trying to reduce things that are um, kind of bringing you down and giving yourself permission to spend money on stuff that would be technically considered irresponsible. But if it's a high emotional return on investment, like go for it. Hmm, I love that. What uh, can I ask you about the opposite? Have you ever had a client come in sure. and even though they're, you know, they look good on paper, it looks like they're doing well on paper. They say stuff that reveals a mindset that you're like, oh, this is not going to go well. Yes. Uh, the opposite would be like, other than like, everything's going to be fine. And I'm just going to sink in. Like, I'm just going to be responsible and I'm not going to be accountable to that. That's a tough one. I've seen like over scarcity, like, or sorry, like, like saving too much, not like, like uh, not enjoying anything. Again, after so long, I've seen people save and save and save. And then like someone get dies or like gets sick or gets divorced. And like all these plans, like they were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then like life just didn't work out. And it's like, why oh, live your life? Like, you know, life is short, live your life. And I think there's a balance between that. So that this isn't going to work out mentality. I've often seen that between couples where Somebody is like, we're not saving enough. And the other person is like, we need to spend more. And it's a real point of tension. And I can really feel it in there. And it's like, how do you find the balance between what you like? Because often the person who wants to save can wrap themselves in the shield of financial responsibility and they feel entitled to be right because everyone knows that saving is good. And so if you're the person that's on the side of spend more, it's easy to feel like you're the irresponsible person who's like bad with money when really, what if you're actually just trying to like find the balance and like live a little bit? And so again, everybody's, everybody's life is different, but I would say you don't want to be overly, it's scarcity on both sides. You don't want to be overly scarce so that you never enjoy your money and you don't want to be overly enjoying so that you never save. There's like a happy medium and most of money is just about finding the balance. Oh my gosh. Well, and how do you sit there with a couple who are so out of balance on that. I know that when you yeah. work with individuals, you help them make no regret decisions by clarifying values and coming up with uh, guardrails that make them feel safe. But how can you do that with a couple and their guardrails might be completely different and their values might be different? And I know you do yeah. this because you did this for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like chapter 10 too. Uh, so I feel like, um, I mean, I think it's my special skill in life. And I think it's why I think I think it is. A lot of that is coaching. And a lot of that it's not just coaching. It's like mapping it out on purpose. Most people, most couples don't want to fight about money. Oh yeah. That's probably why they're also paying me, right? They can't solve this at home and they know they need an external person to come in and help. So often what I'll do is like, I'll get people to write their values down on a piece of paper and then share them at the same time. And then we find the ones that are the same and circle those. But again, like not really thinking about doing that. Also their goals, like writing out goals, and then sharing them at the same time is like often really revealing about how different are on different pages everybody is. And then we can have a discussion about it because some people might think that they're on the same page and the other person's like, oh my gosh, you're not. And so it's all, it's, I don't like the word compromise because people think it automatically no one's winning, right? If it's a compromise, nobody wins. And I, I, although I don't agree with that, 
I would say that we're trying to find a solution that both people are actually excited about, not just a compromise. So while that might mean extended timelines, or it might mean like, instead of saying compromise, I'm usually trying to say the words like um, shifted expectations. Right? So how, who's, how are we both shifting our expectations around what we want? So we can come up with a solution that we're both excited about. That's, that's the goal. Because compromising Wah, wah. Yeah, Nobody wants for to sure. For sure. Um, okay, so to to finish this off, I'd love it if two options. One, um, do you have a story of somebody or a couple that were really feeling hopeless and they didn't know how to make a de- decision that made a decision and it all like they really uh, transforms their relationship with their finances? Or do you have something you would say to someone who is in that spot right now? Mm, I have I mean, I have both. I would steal, you know, one of the stories from the book because I think it's a really good example is like the couple who they were older, they had had this business for years and the business was dying. And, you know, the one guy, it was his whole identity in his world. And so, so much was wrapped up in that and feeling like a failure. Um, so selling the business was so far beyond just a transactional financial decision, right? For him. And for her, she was like, I'm tired. This thing is hemorrhaging money. And we're pretending like it's not. And like, this is, and they would fight. They fought. He, he's the only person that's ever got up and left in my office. I've never, it, it was, it was really upsetting for everybody. But I didn't take it personally or anything. Cause I'm like, this guy's hurting. Like, and then here I am, some elder millennial telling him that like, he's got us, you know, it's a, probably a great idea to like close down this business because it was hemorrhaging money. And he's like, who are you? Get out of here. Like, which I totally understand. My dad's an entrepreneur. I super get it. And so that was an example of like a couple who was like for years had been at odds and just not talking about it. And they just continued to bleed money. They had not a lot of savings left. And they didn't even come to me until they were on the brink of bankruptcy. Even though five years earlier, we probably could have done some stuff, but they were so afraid of talking about it that they just ignored it until like, until it was on fire. And the transformation that's happened there now, even post that book, I still talk to, I still talk to them. The transformation in that is that they finally came together and it was a a series of like, let's pivot, pivot points and guardrails that we've mapped out together. And so like shifting expectations to a certain point, they reached their guardrail, but because they had both agreed on that guardrail earlier, it was easier to say, okay, this is it. We're calling it now. Like we've given it a shot. And then I think that that was the first time that in years that they had come together and decided on something that was like hurtful and hard together. And so then now that they're into their quote retirement, semi-retirement, whatever you want to call it, the business has been sold. Um, I find the way that they make decisions together. Now they're already mapping out those pivot points and guardrails together, like on their own when they're making like, where are we going to, where are we going to rent? Where are we going to live? Like doing that work together instead of just like shoot now, ask questions later. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that yeah. story. And if for anyone who's listening, and this is probably going to air at the beginning of 2024, if anyone's listening and they have some financial, um, you know, New Year's resolutions, or maybe they're feeling like a bit of a fuck up when it comes to their finances and they're hangover and, from the holidays. Yeah, maybe. Do you have anything to say to those people? Yeah, I would just say like, you got the whole year ahead of you. And with money, I actually sort of am here for New Year's resolutions. I you can couch them in whatever term you want, but it's the start of a whole new tax year. You got you got twelve months until you got to be accountable for whatever choices you make, and so that's a fresh start. It really is. And so just because you did something yesterday doesn't mean you have to choose to do it again tomorrow. And I always say that, like, yeah, I can sit here and look at your credit card history for days, but you get to choose what you swipe on tomorrow. So that's all kind of like garbage information. So you get to design tomorrow what choices you're making with your money. So don't get caught up on what just was focus on what you want going forward. And remember that like, this is the most trite thing ever. And but I can't tell you that I have seen this in real time, like a little bit goes a long way. It is a long game. Settle in, get cozy and do a little bit, whatever you can. And that's more powerful than these massive like, we're going to do this really hardcore for three months. Oh my God, we fucked up and now we're not doing anything for like a hundred years. And like, you know, it's like, I would rather someone do like slow and steady wins the race. It is the name of the game. It's the more boring, the better. 
I love it. That's great. Shannon, I know people are going to listen and they're going to want more advice from you. Where can people get in contact with you and uh, learn more from you? Yeah, the hub of everything is uh, newschoolfinance.com. That's where our business is. The online courses are there. The books are there. You can book with us there. All of it's there. Um, and of course, we're on social media too. And just to be clear, that's that's helpful for Canadians only, I think, right? That's right. Yeah. Do you have any advice for any American or international listeners? Uh, where- yeah. We have... Um, so the books, I think, uh, especially Worry-Free Money and uh, No Regret Decisions, they're... There are tactics about money and mindset about money and um, budgeting that can be international. So those books are great. And then we do have two online courses, Get on Track and Budget with Your Boo, which are international as well because they don't have anything to do specifically with Canadian tax law. Awesome. Shannon, I'm so glad we finally did this. I learned so much every time I talk to you and I am forever grateful for what you did for my family's finances. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. All right. See you later. Hi. I'm so glad that conversation finally happened. You might have noticed Shannon and I referenced that a couple of times. We have tried to record this conversation about seven times, but once there was a sick kid and then there was a power outage and then there was time zone confusion, then tonsillitis and then basically plague and locusts. It was really hard for us to get this interview done, but we did it. There's always hope, as she said. And I really hope you found it valuable. If this is the year you nail down your financial systems, I highly recommend Shannon's advice. Like I said, it helped us so much. And as always, I would love to hear what you think and anything that hit you in this interview. Send me a DM on Instagram and let me know. Until then, I'll chat with you next week. Hey, dude, thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you can get the next one. And by the way, if you rate and review this podcast, it really helps me get found by other people who need some goals, grit, and some woo-woo shit. And be sure to connect and DM me at Una Duncan on Instagram and let me know what you thought of the episode. Chat soon.